You know, I've been fortunate with the virtual assistant I have. One of the questions that I tend to like to ask my virtual assistant and staff is to tell me what tasks they have really enjoyed doing. Like I'll say, name me three tasks that you really enjoy doing and name me three tasks that you absolutely hate to do. And so if I find the right fit, but there's like one task that they really just despise doing, I might try to figure out a way to get that task done by somebody else on the team, right? So again, trying to keep people happy. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Sylvia Inks. And today we're talking about systems, tactics, strategies for small business owners and real estate investors, things that you have to have in place really to scale your business. And she's totally right about all of these. And I've seen a lot of this change in my own business as I've applied these lessons in the past and continued to grow. So I can firsthand you know, say that, that this advice will help a real estate investor or an entrepreneur grow, right? You have to take these lessons and apply them and continue to improve and grow to continue stepping up your business. So there's so much great advice in this interview. If you want to continue to scale your real estate investment portfolio, if you're a more active investor, or if you're a business owner out there, I know we have a lot of you guys listening. If you don't have these things in place, you're not going to grow. I'm sorry. You have to put these lessons, these strategies, these systems in place if you want to continue stepping up in your business. A lot of great lessons in this one. I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically in apartment building and self-storage syndications. If you're interested in learning more and potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, and schedule a call with me. I will look forward to speaking with you then. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see firsthand that you're engaging with the content. You're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. If you do enjoy the show, no matter what podcast app you use, look us up and hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Sylvia Inks. Today, we're talking about systems, tactics, strategies, and other things that business owners and entrepreneurs need to have in place in order to continue to scale. A lot of great lessons. Without any further ado, here we go. Sylvia, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Today, I'm hoping that our listeners can learn some business ownership and entrepreneurship skills as they translate to running a real estate investment portfolio. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and what you do, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your background and you know how you help people become better entrepreneurs and business owners? Yes. So I'm a business strategist, a finance expert and speaker. I love helping small business owners know how to make sense of their numbers so they know what to do differently and also build uh, multiple profitable income streams. Um, I see so many small business owners who are really, really good at what they do, but they just have a hard time keeping the money that they've earned and scaling their businesses. Nice, nice. And you know, today we have a few uh, topics that we want to cover here. And first off, you know, kicking it off about talking about 
expensive financial mistakes to avoid as a business owner. The first rule of investing, right, is don't lose money. And the second rule is refer to rule number one in case you're ever confused, right? So let's talk about that. Let's dig into expensive financial mistakes that entrepreneurs can make. I love the data and numbers driven approach that you're taking here. So tell us all about it. Yes. So the biggest one that I see so many small business owners make, even those who have been in business for a few years, is commingling their business and personal money. And what do I mean by that? It's the putting all the money coming in from your business in your same personal bank account, check your personal checking account. All of a sudden, all your personal money and your business money is all commingled. Then you have no idea how much the business has made or how much the business is spending. And it also translates into an IRS nightmare because all of a sudden, if the IRS needs to audit your business, they're going to have to go through all your business and all your personal transactions. And that's mm. very costly, especially if your CPA is doing your taxes and has to do things on your behalf. They're going to be charging you per hour to go through all those transactions. <laughs> so oftentimes uh, in real estate, when we hear Folks mentioned that in particular, they're talking about you know, piercing the corporate veil and liability yeah. and all of that. But it sounds like the angle that you're coming at it uh, from is, is more managing cash flows, knowing how much you're spending and, and really knowing how much you're making. Is is that right? Am I getting that right? Yeah, it's twofold. But yes, absolutely. It's, you're going to lose money, right? If you commingle it, you're going to accidentally spend either the business going to accidentally spend more money than it should. Um, I had an example where I had a colleague where she was running her business out of her personal, you know, family joint account, and she didn't think anything about it about it because it was a side hustle at the time. And all of a sudden, she didn't realize that when she signed up for some coaching program, that she accidentally spent her daughter's dance money, the money that was set aside for dance money, as well as their upcoming vacation. So all of a sudden, like you're there, that can create resentment in the family, right? So if you're overspending and overinvesting in your business where you're not spending what the business earned, you overspend, then your family, you know, is going to suffer. They're not going to have the, you're not going to have the money for the goals that you set aside for your family. So in that case, is the, the answer as easy as, you know, going to your local bank branch and saying, Hey, I need a business account and, and, and fund again. I mean, is that really what it comes down to? Yes, it's just that simple. Go to a local <laughs> bank. I love more like the community banks over like the big national banks because a lot of times the big national um, banks tend to have maintenance fees. So you have to keep a certain amount or I've had clients that didn't realize they were getting charged $25 a month for their, their bank accounts where they could just go to a local branch and get a free checking account. So yes, absolutely. Just go to your local bank, open a separate business bank account. You'll want it to attach it to your EI, the business EIN number. So make sure it's not attached to your, your personal social security number, right? So again, making sure the liability is on the business side, but doing an EIN number. And actually, I also recommend people having more than one business bank account. We'll get into that of why that actually goes into the, the, um, mistake number two and three, but definitely, definitely have at least a business bank account separate from your um, personal bank account. Awesome. All right. Well, on that note, let's move on to to numbers two and three. I mean, I like the, we found a problem and there's a, a relatively you know, straightforward and, and simple solution to it, but it is a, a mistake that a lot of folks make. So let's uh, move on to, you know, the next one. Yep. So mistake number two, I see people don't have a emergency fund for their business. So everyone hears so much about, oh, you've got to keep, you know, three to six months of emergency for your personal life, but people forget that you should have one for your business. Um, and I have a few folks tell me, oh yeah, I've got an emergency fund. I'm like, okay, great. Where, you know, where is it? And um, then come to find out they're just, they're saying that it's their personal bank account is their emergency fund. I'm like, no, no. Like if, the, if your personal life and your business both have an emergency at the same time, who wins? Who, who gets to use the money? Right. Um, so your business should have its own business emergency fund. 
So really treating it as a, as much as you can, as a, a separate entity to yourself yeah. that if it, if this entity has a problem, that the entity needs yeah. to be able to deal with the problem. Yep. Absolutely. So that, yeah. that equates to, I mean, kind of having more cash in the bank, just, uh, in multiple places as well. Right. Yeah. So having, again, having that emergency. So if for some reason, you know, if you have a tenant that's not paying rent, right, like, or something happens, like you have money set aside. Otherwise you don't want to have to dip into the family fund and say, oops, we can't, we can't pay for Susie's dance lesson or, you know, Bobby's soccer lessons because, you know, we have a tenant that can't, you know, pay. So again, the treating it as a completely separate entity from your personal life. Mm, okay. Nice. Nice. I like yep. that. And then mm -hmm. moving on to number three, what is number three? Number three is having a separate bank account for your taxes. So I see a lot of times people will get that big, you know, check or their rent check and they think that that's all the money that they can spend all that money. But really, you got to make sure that when, you know, when the ta your IRS tax bill comes on, uh, whether it's your property taxes or your income taxes, that you've got money set aside to pay the tax bill because you can't put that on credit. Like you don't want to, you'll get penalized. So just go ahead and make sure you factor in, talk to your CPA and make sure that you know how much you should be setting aside so that you've got the cash ready on hand. When you get that tax bill, you've got, you can pay that off. So at the end of the day, it, it comes a lot down to, in that case, the planning, right? Knowing what, hey, mm -hmm. this is what the bill is probably going to be for this yep. year. We can, you know, set that money aside maybe over the course of the year, or really what, whatever works for us in our individual uh, case. And then when the time comes to, to pay up, you know, if it's a property yeah. tax bill or whatever, we're ready to go. And it's, it's not a problem. It's not a big surprise or crunch. Yeah, absolutely. That way you plan for it and you're not having to scramble and figure out where to pull the cash from. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So are there any others in the list that we need to go through, of, you know, mistakes that folks are making? Probably another big one is just trying to do everything yourself, right? Like if you're trying to grow a business or scale a business, uh, if you're trying to do it all yourself, like you are the doer and the leader of the company and something is going to give. So whether it's, you know, your personal life or your health or your sleep, like something's going to fail. So figure out what are the tasks that you're always consistently doing, like a recurring task that you're always doing for your business and figure out, price it out and figure out like, is this something that I could pay somebody, you know, 10, $15 an hour to do and I could gain that time back for whatever you need it for, whether it's, you know, personal life, family, exercise, sleep. Because uh, I will say the biggest thing that I hear from small business owners is that they don't have enough time. They're They're sacrificing sleep in order to run their businesses. Well, that one really rings true for me. That's a mistake that I made for a long time as I was doing a lot of these tasks that, you know, are, are varying degrees of difficulty, right? But I can get it done, right? I can make the time, I can, I can make it happen. But if you're working on those tasks, then you can't be thinking about, you know, higher level activities to, to grow the business and really, you know, move upward, whatever your business is. And at least in my case, hiring people to handle those things has really, it's an investment in the business, right? So it does impact your cash flows, but it helps you really get to the next step in your business, you know, whatever that is. But, but it's tough at the beginning. It can be tough. And that's where I always encourage people, like keep a list of the tasks that you're doing for your business. You know, what are the things that you enjoy doing versus what are the things that you don't like doing? And it takes you, you know, 10 times as long and figure out what's your yield per hour. That's another exercise I have like to give clients to do is figure out what's your one hour worth. Like, can you, if you spent one hour in your business and could you generate more money in that one hour than paying for this task? So if you could earn $150 an hour, like paying somebody $15 to do a task, like is a no brainer, right? Like that's a, you've got immediate ROI if you could just spend that one hour on, you know, money generating activities. 
So we've seen over over time, right? And in, I don't know, well over a decade, right? The 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 growth of the virtual assistant industry, yes. right? And I have a, a number of assistants who work in my business and and do listen to this show throughout the you know course of doing their job. Are you uh, are you of the position or of the mind that virtual assistants can be used for virtually any business? We kind of hear that a lot, right? But sometimes having someone physically present is is an advantage. So, what are your thoughts yeah. about that? I love having my virtual assistant. I she's given me back. Gosh, I would say over 800 hours a year, a year easily and allowed me to focus on things like building an online course for my business and was able to get, earn that, you know, so much more money by having her do the task that I didn't need to do. That was administrative tasks. So definitely there's ways that you can hire a virtual assistant to do, whether it's follow up emails, like even just emails, like I have cl- my client, my VA will send emails, reminders to my client. So something that's you know, I didn't need to physically be there for to send the email. She's got the notes. She can send it or she can say, hey, here's a reminder that you're meeting with Sylvia in two days. Here's your action items that you were supposed to get done. So um, super simple tasks that somebody doesn't need to be present for. We meet virtually once a week on Zoom. So we're able to build, you know, presence there, relationship there. And then sometimes, honestly, you can hire a virtual assistant to help with personal tasks. If you need a free up time, that you would normally need to do for a task in your personal life, but you need to spend that hour in your business, it probably makes sense to hire, you know, have your VA do that research that you don't need to do. Um, so sometimes I will get in a crutch where I need to do some, re- you know, it takes three hours to do some research for my personal life and I don't need to do it. Like I could spend three hours and make money in my business. So I'll have her do some of those tasks as well. Interesting. So that one in particular is something that I've, pers- the personal task angle, it's something that I've thought about and I haven't been able to really Think of anything that I, I can outsource to a virtual assistant. So in your case, you know, I guess what comes to mind, right? Because I don't know, I, I racked my mind. I can't think of anything, but maybe I'm not yeah. being creative enough. I don't know. One, uh, I mean, mine were simple ones like, oh, I was going to do a work trip um, in Asheville, North Carolina, and I wanted her to do some research on VRBOs. And so she, I said, you know, spend up to two hours looking for VRBO rentals. Give me the, the, a link to the property. Tell me how much it is. Tell me, you know, the, just create a spreadsheet so that I could just easily see the top 10 places that, you know, that I can go to. So that's one simple one. I think I had, you know, I'm in the process of moving uh, later this year. So I said, go, go find me movers. I uh, go on Yelp and, you know, again, same thing. I'll time box it. I don't, I don't like, I don't want her to go search for 100, you know, results, but I'm like, hey, time box it, search for two hours, you know, put, put a list together of moving companies that have rated four stars and above, right? So um, so there's little things like that. So anything that frees up time that I would have spent needing to go on the internet, looking through reviews, et cetera. Interesting. Um, okay. Okay. They can't go to the gym for you, but they can do that. They can't go to the gym you. for you. Creatively though, I also, I've done this for clients as well. And I did this for when I wrote my own book was hire somebody locally for just taking care of personal tasks, like meal prep, meal prep or laundry housekeep house just general housekeeping um, i had a client of mine who recently same thing she was going through she was like i don't have any time to work on my business or i'm running out of time because i'm doing all these personal tasks i'm like well tell me what personal tasks that you don't enjoy and we list she listed a bunch and i said let's just let's find somebody on care.com like list all the things that you're looking for and see you know see who responds back and she was able to find someone that was cheaper than her current housekeeper um, cleaner. And that person also enjoyed folding laundry. And she was like, win-win. She was like, this person, when they come over and clean, they can also fold laundry. So 
just thinking of just like little things that would make your life easier, whether it's, you know, at home in person, you can fire somebody that's more of a personal assistant for, to take care of personal tasks or the virtual assistant. Again, virtual assistant would probably be more useful for things like research or, you know, follow up on emails, things like that. Nice. Okay. I one of the ones that really comes to mind for me that, that I've been using more often is just the ability to order your groceries online and shoot, I'll, I'll go pick them up because it's not that far away and it's on my way to, you know, the gym, whatever I can, mm -hmm. I can, you know, deter, defer my route for 30 seconds yep. to go sit and wait mm -hmm. for the groceries to be loaded in my car. But then I'm not spending 15, 30 minutes, whatever, walking around the grocery store yep. or picking it out, right? I just get what I need. And what do you know? I'm not walking around picking crap off the shelves that I don't, yep. I don't really need, right? That avoids yep. the, the impulse purchase. So there are so many options there. Now on the virtual assistant, you know, in that, in that realm, that can be discouraging though, because reality is that, that I found from my experience, you kind of end up hiring a few people till you find someone that is a really a good fit for the position, right? Is going to mm -hmm. perform to what you need and be consistent, show up consistently. Does that happen to everybody? And, and if so, you know, how can you kind of learn from those experiences and, and get to the point yeah. where you're successful with virtual assistants? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I've been fortunate with the virtual assistant I have. One of the questions that I tend to like to ask my virtual assistant and staff is to tell me what tasks they really enjoy doing. Like I'll say, name me three tasks that you really enjoy doing and name me three tasks that you absolutely hate to do. And so if I find the right fit, but there's like one task that they really just despise doing, I might try to figure out a way to get that task done by somebody else on the team. Right. So again, trying to keep people happy. Like if I feel like I found the right person, but there's just a couple tasks that they really just don't like doing. I try to just try to do that so that again, that they're happy in their position. So that's just one way that I like doing it. I've heard, also heard of people say, you know, once a year is checking with their staff and say, Hey, well, is there anything that you would love? You know, if you could name one task that you could take off your plate, what would it be? And sometimes, it, you know, if it's a task that could be done by somebody else, like I've heard business owners do that and just the way, again, if you've got good people on your team, like, and it just happens to be one task that's just the bane of their existence. Like you figure out a way to make that work. So that's just one example. But I definitely, you know, you can also, when you're interviewing for VAs, I've also seen where people give a simple task to like, two, you know, two or three VAs that they're interviewing and have them like basically return the results. And you can compare and see like, how did each person candidate, you know, do on the task? And then you could pick the person. So you could do tests. I've heard people do test tasks for VAs. Okay. I think it really that first example in particular kind of, uh, maybe I need to add that into my business, but I think overall the theme seems to be to go back to, Hey, you're building a long-term relationship with this person. You said, I, I think you summed it up very well, where you want the person to be happy in the position, right? Because then they're going to stay, right? And they're going to perform well and, and really what they're doing is going to, is going to fit what they want to do. Right. Yep. yep. Absolutely. So we talked, we talked about, you know, mistakes and, and people. I think another big part of really any business is, is systems, right? And there are a lot yep. of digital tools and things like that out there available that are, could, you know, range in cost and all of that. But what are some systems that business owners and entrepreneurs should have in place to, to get things done and, you know, continue to scale their business? Yeah. My number one top tool that I tell people they have to do is get a scheduling tool. So if you are trading emails, numerous emails back and forth, if somebody wants to meet with you and you're having to send multiple emails back and forth and saying, oh, this time doesn't work. Can you meet this time? It's just a time suck. Like it's just, it's terrible waste of everyone's time. If you had a simple scheduling tool where you can lay out, here's the days and times that I'm available. 
scheduling tool checks your calendar and only displays what's available, then somebody could, that person could just easily just click on a link and you guys both have a, cal- a meeting invite on both of your calendars. So simple tool. I think that every, that's one that's a no-brainer that you're going to save so much time. I mean, it's, you can find them as low as like 10 to 20 bucks a month. So it does kind of, that's how we got on this podcast interview, right? I yeah. have a Calendly for investors out there who want to, you know, talk to me about our, what we do and all of that. You schedule a time with me on Calendly, right? This is when I'm available. This is where we could chat. Great. But it does, at least initially, it kind of hurts to have that 10 bucks a month, right? This is just a calendaring, calendaring, calendaring tool, if that's a word. Um, but it's really an investment in the business and it, it can help you scale and avoid a lot of those back yeah. and forth emails, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like you mentioned it at the beginning, it might seem like a lot, but you never know if you've lost a sale in the back and forth email. Um, yeah. I actually did lose a sale once. I did have a scheduling tool, but none of those times worked for her. And what I should have done was create like a special VIP link because I really wanted to work with her. She was like a warm, she was pretty much a warm lead. And so, but by the time I was trying to find exception times, uh, dates and times to meet with her. So then I did break my rule of going out, you know, emailing back and forth because she couldn't find anything on my regular scout scheduling tool. By the fourth email, she's like, you know, thanks for your time, but I already found somebody that I could meet with sooner and I already booked them. Bummer. Yeah. So that was a $3,000 sale that like I lost because of the needing to go back and forth and email. We literally couldn't find a date and time that worked. But that's a big, that's a big lesson, right? Because you, you can learn from that and then there will be another situation like that in the future. So you can be more prepared next time. Yep. So I have a secret VIP link where I can send to people (laughs) who, if I'm, if it makes sense to go do exception times and meet with them outside those times, I will send that to them. Nice. Okay. So we have calendar tool. What else? What are other systems folks should have in Uh, place? Yes. Another second one that you absolutely, everybody absolutely needs to have is an invoicing and accounting tool. You need to have an easy tool that can load in all your income that your business has has, um, brought in as well as all the expenses because you will need a tool that can produce a profit and loss statement for your CPA to do your taxes. Mm. So there are, I, I went through this, you know, a little while ago now, but what I remember about selecting one is that there are an insane number of options out there at you could spend months, you know, sorting through the to, to pick out the best ones. What are your thoughts about, you know, the the best tools? And then we can talk about actually utilizing the tool and not turning it into just another job. Right. Yep. So I know everyone hears of QuickBooks. That's one that CPAs tend to use. Everyone knows it. It's been around. The only thing is that QuickBooks is really, really difficult if you don't if you don't have an accounting background. Like it is very you don't want to accidentally set it up incorrectly because it will literally take hundreds of dollars for somebody to refix all the categories. Um, so I did have one business owner who wanted to save some money, wanted to just have his office manager set up his QuickBooks uh, and ended up they had to re basically tear down every tear out everything they had. Mm. Um, so QuickBooks is a little bit difficult to get started with. I would say for most QuickBooks is great for someone who has a retail business that needs to keep track of inventory, you know, what's, you know, beginning inventory, end of month inventory. But if you have a, just a service-based business, I would highly recommend more a tool that's more user-friendly for service-based business owners. Uh, the tool that I personally use and like is called FreshBooks. It's really geared more to service-based business owners. So just more tracking the simple, like what's income coming in, what type of income categories do you have? So you can see where your, in- what, where your income's coming from. 
And then expenses, it'll easily categorize, here's how much you spent in, you know, utilities, here's how much you spent on, you know, meals and entertainment, et cetera, all the different IRS categories. And so that auto, it automatically starts to break, you know, categorize those for you. And they'll, they'll have some that they can't, the system can't categorize. So they'll just say, you know, hey, here's some that are uncategorized. You need to go in and fix those. But otherwise, once you do that, that you're, it's easy. Literally, you could just click a button and it downloads a, a profit and loss statement that you could just send over to your CPA. Interesting. Okay. So frequently like the, the answer is I think folks really lean towards QuickBooks because it's, it's actually very well known, right? They've been around for a long time. They're owned by a huge company and they have a lot of advertising dollars, but, um, it's interesting. You, uh, prefer fresh books. I think I had looked at that one, but I, I don't, we didn't select it for, I can't remember why, but it's interesting to hear that the actual user experience on the back end is generally yep. preferable. Yes. And customer service is great with fresh, fresh books. Like, I mean, I've, I've called them in the past and I've clients have called them in the past and someone actually picks up the phone, like within three rings. I think, mm -hmm. I think at the time their SLA was three, three rings. Um, but I will say, you know, definitely I've had clients who have paid for QuickBooks because they were told they needed, you know, an invoicing system, but it doesn't matter if you have it, if you never use it, if you never open it. So I had a client who for eight years, like paid for QuickBooks, but never used it, didn't know wow. what the reports meant. And then we switched over to FreshBooks and he was able to understand what his finances looked like. So, so again, doesn't matter if something's well-known. Um, CPAs might tell you, oh no, you really need FreshBooks. Honestly, as long as you can send them a profit and loss statement, that's all they need to do your taxes. So FreshBooks can do exactly that. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So what are your thoughts on how much a CPA should dig into or be involved with things like those, setting it up in the first place for those IRS categories and actually getting the system to the point where it's it's giving you a, the correct profit and loss statement, right? And it's it's based on, you know, whatever the, the IRS says we can and can't yeah. deduct. Uh, for definitely, if you're if you're going to use QuickBooks, you're going to want to have a CPA involved. Like you're going to want to make sure that that's set up properly. But if you use something like FreshBooks, you don't need a CPA involved. It's literally user friendly. You just you can connect your bank accounts and credit cards that you have running for the business, and it just imports all that data in. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So, what are some other you know Are there any other systems in this list? You know, before we mm -hmm. uh, move on to my three questions, I ask every guest on the show. Probably my last one that absolutely no brainer to use is a cloud system. Like don't store all your files, your business files on your, <laughs> on your laptop or desktop, because if you get the blue screen or you accidentally spill coffee on it or what have you, like you don't want all your financial information for your business or key data, like information for your business gone. Um, so as low as like 10 bucks a month, you know, I, I have Microsoft Office 365 and just store everything in the cloud. And especially if you're going to use people like virtual assistants or other people on your team, you want to make sure that you've got a portal, you know, a place where everyone can store documents so that if, if for some reason you do have, you know, VA turnover, you want to make sure that all those documents that they've worked on is in the system. So definitely a cloud system like a, a Microsoft Office 365. Nice, nice. Okay, we can have those are getting, or they just are very affordable now. I think Google Drive for two terabytes of cloud storage is like, yeah, 12 bucks a month or something like that per user. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really, it's, it's all, it's not free, right? But it's yeah. so cheap. It's, it's kind of unbelievable. It is. And it's going to be well worth it if you ever, if your laptop crashes and you need to get on somebody else's laptop, you can easily access all that data. Otherwise, you won't be able to run your business if all your data was sitting on your laptop. Absolutely. Nice. I love it. So a lot of great examples here, a lot of great knowledge for folks. 
Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Sylvia, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes, I am. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? I would say probably signing up for my employee stock purchase plan when I uh, was working in corporate America. I was actually able to get in uh, my stocks at 15% less than market price. Oh, wow. So at the time that my company uh, went IPO, the shares were about 15 bucks a share. And today I just checked this morning before um, we were recording and it's like just over $342. Oh, jeez. <laughs> wow. So, so you got a good deal there. I nice. got a good deal there. So it's nice. Nice. Well, we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst oh. investment you ever made? So buying a condo in Chicago right oh. before I got married, but then realizing that I really hated the Midwest winters and wanted to leave within two years. And our plan was to always, we knew it was going to be our starter home. Uh, so we said, okay, well, we're going to turn it into a rental. And just as we were leaving, our HOA had changed all the rules to limit rental properties in mm. our um, HOA. So they turned it into a lottery system and you could only apply. And once you got the slots, you were only limited to two years of rental at a time. And then you had to give up your spot. So it was, they were really trying to deter rentals. And so we lost money since we sold within two years. Wow. That's, that's pretty onerous. That's interesting restriction. Well, my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Yeah. So important lesson. I know that sometimes it can feel scary to invest in either a training or a coaching program that you know that you need to grow your business, Uh, especially maybe if you don't have the cash in hand for it, or maybe you're just not sure about cash flow coming in. But if you are lacking a skill in something that you know for sure, like this is what's going to take to grow your business or scale your business, figuring out how you can quickly just earn the ROI. Um, There was for personal example, a couple of years ago, I knew I wanted to invest in a, a sales coaching program. Um, I've worked with Coach before in something similar, but she was p- coming to me for a 12-month coaching program. I was worried about figuring out how I was going to make the cash flow work to pay into it. But honestly, within less than a month, I would say, yeah, less than four weeks, I was able to earn all my money back for the program in just less than two sales. So all the stuff that I learned within a, just that first month. So anything over that, I was earning ROI on that after a month. And it was a 12-month program. Well, Sylvia, thank you for all the lessons that you've provided us today. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more, anything like that, where can they track you down? Yes. Best place, go to my book URL. It's smallbusinessfinancebook.com. It's my books called Small Business Finance for the Busy Entrepreneur. Essentially, it's the 21, it's elaborated. So it's 21 steps that I've seen that so many small business owners have gotten wrong in their business. So Nice. Awesome. And, and hopefully... You know, people can take those lessons and actually apply them. I've committed that sin myself in the past of learning things and then taking forever to apply them. And it's a a constant process of really trying to internalize these lessons and then apply them to your business. 
And I would encourage people to reach out, check out the book and apply those lessons to the real estate investments. I want to thank you for joining us today. I want to thank everybody out there for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content. You're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.